0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we are back in the studio with a new friend of ours, uh, someone, full disclosure, as we always are, we always, I always say full disclosure, I always try to be as transparent 100% of the time. Uh, But this is a new friend of ours, someone that uh, we met through an alumni of ours, uh, Darlene Platchek. Darlene, how are you?
1: Um wonderful. Thank you.
0: I know you said you were a little nervous before we started recording. and There's nothing to be nervous about. Um, Darlene and I met, uh, full disclosure, as I said before, through one of our alumni. We have an annual walk that uh, has taken place in Norwalk, Connecticut the past two years. And Darlene, you came to us from Gina Franco, who we run that walk uh, in conjunction with her for her mom, who had passed away from pancreatic cancer a couple years ago. And yeah. I know this year you were going to attend the event, be at the event, even though you're not from that area, which is which is kind of, uh, which we just, I, right. that's why I thought you were from the area, not Connecticut, but closer to New York. And uh, just talking before I hit record, you, you come quite a bit of ways. Uh, which is awesome, but you were going to be at the event. The event now has gone virtual uh, because of the COVID pandemic, but I wanted to have you on the podcast because I know, I think you and I maybe have interacted via social media. I think when Gina had told us, hey, I met this lady, Darlene, she's awesome. She's a survivor. She's going to come to the walk. I was like, this is awesome. Um, and then you and I connected on social media, um, and I think we we exchanged some messaging a while back, but I thought it would be great to have you on the podcast and talk about your journey because you've been a real big advocate for this disease since you've been involved with it. So thank you for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. You're welcome. And as we always do with our guest, Darlene, this is your opportunity to share with our audience your background about why you're here today on the podcast. And as I said before we recorded, this is really your opportunity to share with our audience your story. You can go as far back with your journey, and you can stay as high level as you want, and we'll go from there. So with that, the mic is yours.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, well, my my journey um, started a, a long time ago. I was originally diagnosed with uh, follicular lymphoma, which is a non-Hodgkin's disease, which um, if you if you don't know what it is, it is, it affects your white blood cell count. Um, you, it's not fatal. Um, and so I was being treated at Sloan, um, in New Jersey. I had uh, been receiving, um, CT scans for a while. And then in, um, November of 2018, I started um, to have um, lower abdominal pain that went to the left side and around to um, my lower back. Um, I talked to my oncologist about this, and I was told that it was more than likely constipation. The pain continued, and um, the CT scans were every three months. And, um, I was told by my oncologist that, um, my CT scans were fine. In fact, the lymphoma, um, was, was probably in remission. The pains continued. In fact, they were worse. My appetite was decreasing. I started to lose weight. And, uh, meantime, my son-in-law had passed away suddenly. So, of course, that was thrown into the mix. You know, you're not only constipated, um, probably depressed with your son-in-law's um, passing. Well, you're being seen by an oncologist at Sloan, and your faith is in that person, so you tend to believe their um, diagnosis. Um, meanwhile... Uh, everything is uh, proceeding, the pain is getting worse, uh, my appetite, um, a couple pounds goes on to 10 pounds, and um, it's now February of 2019, and my husband um, rushes me to the emergency room at our local hospital, I have another CT scan there, and it shows nothing. And again, the ER doctor says to me, um, constipation, you need to go home, use some laxatives and a stool softener. And the laxatives and the stool softener actually made it worse. And I, I just told my husband, I'm not doing that. Um, I went back to see my oncologist at um, Sloan and uh, complained about the symptoms again. And she referred me to a um, gastroenterologist at Wild Cornell. I went to uh, see this doctor. We spoke about my symptoms. He promised that we would get to the basis of it. Um, but in the meantime, he wanted me to see an, immuno- an immunologist at um, hospital special surgery. So... We uh, made an appointment to see this uh, doctor at the hospital special surgery, and we went through a series of tests. Now, this doctor actually ended up saving my life. She questioned why my oncologist never did a CT PET scan. Um, The test results obviously showed that there were no immune diseases. She referred me back to the doctor at Cornell Weill, who uh, proceeded to prescribe another form of uh, laxative, uh, Linest. And she's, I guess that's a laxative. But anyway, uh, he gave me Linest, medication, and also um, an x-ray. And that was um, the end of February again um all it did was make my symptoms worse the abdominal pain was severe the weight loss um continued my appetite i was hardly eating at that point um i wasn't even drinking at that point um loss of sleep um depressed because no one was uh, no one could find what was wrong with me i began to think i was a hypochondriac but the, the doctor at Hospital of Special Surgery really stuck with me, and she called my oncologist and insisted that I have a CT PET scan. Now, by now, we're into March of 2019, and all of this had started way back in two, November of 2018. Um, so on March 28th of 2019, I finally had a PET-CT scan. Um, but unfortunately, before I was able to see my doctor um, for the results of that PT scan, which would have been on April 4th of 2019, I was rushed to the ER. Um, and at that time when I was rushed to the ER, I had calls. I'm trying to get these facts in my head straight. So I had the test on March 28th. My appointment would have been um, with the doctor, the oncologist at Sloan on April 4th. On April 3rd, I was rushed to the ER at our local hospital and they informed me that I had a blood clot, uh, blood clot on my spleen um, and they wanted to do a CT scan and I refused. I told him that I just had a CT scan and they had to call my oncologist. Not knowing, the results showed stage four um, pancreatic cancer with METs to the liver, um, a node on my lung, and um, the pancreatic tumor had wrapped around the splenic vein. We didn't have those results. No one had told us. The doctor at the hospital, um, my local hospital, had only told us that there was a blood clot on my spleen and we had to spend the night. The next morning, April 4th, the oncologist at our local hospital who had uh, just spoken to the oncologist at Sloan, who was treating me for my lymphoma, came in and gave us the diagnosis that I had stage four pancreatic cancer with three months to live, um, which was a really difficult diagnosis to take. Um, So that was the beginning of our journey. I was angry because all I could think about was being told that I had constipation. Um, I think at one point, at one point my oncologist nurse did say to me, maybe you should learn to sit up straight, which when I thought about that remark, I really, really flipped me out. But the, the point was that all the symptoms were there. The, the abdominal pain, the constipation, um, the loss of appetite, not sleeping, they were all there. And no one was really listening. And the CT scans were not showing anything. Um, and I definitely had many CT scans. I was told that... Um, When we questioned it afterwards that pancreatic cancer doesn't always show up on CT scans. But my husband and I questioned it because how could you have a CT scan in November of 2018 and then of March of, you know, 28th be told that you have stage four? Um, but we learned later on. But there's a marker for this and it's called, um, C199. I think it's what it's called. And the range, the normal range is zero to 40. My numbers were over 61,000. And the thing that people need to be aware of and that I encourage when people call me is that you, you have to not only be aware of your symptoms, you need to be aware that there's a marker for that. And when physicians, um, when you go to physicians with these symptoms and you still feel that um, you're not getting any satisfaction and you know in your heart that it's not constipation. I mean, You know your body. You know your body. Ask for that blood test. Ask for that marker. I mean, if I had known that there was a marker for that, it's an indication that something is wrong. It's a simple blood test. We as women know for ovarian cancer that there are whisper signs of ovarian cancer and there's a marker. And we've been told, insist upon having that blood test. Well, pancreatic cancer is much like that. There are whisper signs of it. You need to be aware that there's a marker and you need to insist to have that blood test because maybe that will help us. So to know that there are that, that it's there. Um, I, I just feel very strongly about that blood test now. Because had I known, maybe my cancer wouldn't have gotten to stage four, because it doesn't always show up on a CT scan. I mean, I was told upon review that they could see it. Well, that didn't help me. That doesn't help me. I mean, I am fortunate. I ended up with um, 31 treatments of um, 5-FU, which is one of the most aggressive chemo treatments for this and I am I'm at the point now today where I have um, clear margins my mets to the liver is um, not as visible as it was but it's still there the vein um, the tumor is still wrapped around the splendid vein but I am 16 months I am 16 months I am still here and that's, I mean, three months they told me and I am 16 months. I am still here because I, I was so angry. I just looked at the doctor and said, I, this is not going to beat me. This is, I am going to beat the cancer because I was angry. I was angry enough that I was not going to let this cancer beat me down and it hasn't. And, um, Thanks to my new doctor at um, Sloan, who is phenomenal. I have a great team in place, my family, my faith. Um, I am still here. I am here, and I have a great community behind me. Um, I, I am here, but it's taken a lot of a lot of work. But I just feel that we have to use our voice, and if no one is listening. Um, we just have to insist on, um, that, that marker. I really feel that that is key and that's how I feel.
0: So Darlene, I got a question for you. Sure. Back up all the way to the very beginning. When was the diagnosis for lymphoma first done? Cause you didn't give me a date. When was that diagnosis? Oh,
1: that. That I think was two, thousand seventeen.
0: Okay, so two thousand seventeen. So prior to any of this, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. So prior mm-hmm. to two thousand seventeen, health wise, you were good. I was good. Didn't have any issues. Never had anything cancer related.
1: No, um, no, no. I have a seizure disorder that I've had since I was a kid. Yeah. Um. I I do have a seizure disorder. Um. But other than that, no, I was I was uh, pretty good. You know, some migraines. That was it. I and I, um, no, never had really anything going on. The follicular lymphoma, mm-hmm. um, they feel um, was due to probable chemical. I garden a lot, mm-hmm. so unfortunately. Um, I used a lot of uh, chemicals in my garden. I also live in apple country. Mm-hmm. Um, all around me, um, the farmers use pesticides. Mm-hmm. So it's probably due to that. I did have uh, a genetic profile done, and the uh, it came out that uh, it was uh, environmental. Hmm. My mom passed away from ovarian cancer five years ago, and we did have... Uh, Testing done, and there was uh, no BRCA gene present.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, um, So that was one of my questions: was genetics? Because I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at the profile here, um, Mm -hmm. you know, melanoma is linked with BRCA, not lymphoma. But I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got some cancer history with your mom with ovarian, Mm -hmm. and then you popping with, uh, you know, popping up with pancreatic cancer. Um, So, and I mean, everything's changed. I mean, genetics three years ago, is in what genetics is today, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, on paper, one would think maybe there's something linked there. And the fact that you've been able to you know, go through 31 treatments of 5-FU also would mean that there's something maybe, and I'm not a genetic specialist, but I'm sure there'd be plenty of specialists that would love to see a profile of you, just given some of the family history here and, and what you've mm-hmm. gone through. Another thing that just, uh, you know, here I am taking notes. You said you went back to Sloan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: after they, and and, and I just want to bring this up because I mean, you said, you know, November, you had the CT scan, you had another CT scan, then Mm -hmm. you went to Cornell, then you went to HSS. And, you know, it sounds like you, when you're telling your story, I was like, oh, she's going to stay at HSS. But
1: Mm -mm. then you said
0: you went back to Sloan.
1: I did. I did. I, um, very angry at the, I, and, and obviously I'm not going to give names of doctors because to me that's totally unethical and unprofessional. I, I felt that, um, just because I did not have faith in one doctor does not mean I don't have faith in the hospital itself. Um, I think that we, looked at my husband investigated multiple. We looked at Mayo. We looked Mm at, um, uh, my girls live, my two daughters live in Boston. So we Mm -hmm. looked at hospitals in Boston and we felt after looking at the doctor, um, who was, uh, who I was referred to. There were two doctors that I I was referred to at Sloan. The one doctor that, um, my husband and family really wanted me to um, wanted me to go to was going to Ireland was going uh, was going to be in Ireland and at this and wasn't returning until May. And at this point, I'm laughing because uh,
0: you're giving it away just by saying that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, she was phenomenal and I yeah. really would have loved to, I would have loved for her to be my oncologist, but um from The time I, they had tested me twice and my tumor, my, um, my, uh, C-19 had gone up considerably in a week. So they didn't want me to wait. So I went to the second doctor at Sloan that was highly recommended and I, am I do not regret it one bit. He is phenomenal. So yes, I did go back to Sloan, um, Because it has a superb reputation. And I mean, I'm here. He is great. I mean, he has, he has put it out there straight. He told, he told my family, um, from the onset, hope for a miracle. Um, and he did not think that I would be able to, um, make it through 31 treatments. He did not feel that I was strong enough. Um, and he has said that I have since proven him wrong. So he, you know, he's he's played it straight with us, honest, forthright. And he uh, I, I, he's told us what our options were at the same time. I have a uh, grandchild that is due in October and um, mm. he feels that I will be here for the birth and that I may possibly make it through another spring. So he gives us hope and that's what you need. You need to move forward and have hope and be positive. And that's what we have now. We have hope. I did not have that before.
0: Well, it's powerful stuff, what you just said. And I, I think one of the things, and I've heard this multiple times, but you just reiterated it, is that you have to have faith in your clinician, wherever mm-hmm. that person may be. And and I, I give you and your family, because I know it was a family decision, it sounds like, you know, to stay at Sloan. I mean, Sloan is a great place. um, But I I think, you know, it is important to be with a clinician that you understand, that Mm -hmm. you trust. Uh, Not every clinician is like that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but I've been writing a lot of notes here. And, and, you know, you said something about being your biggest advocate. And, you know, that unfortunately is something that really infuriates me when I hear stories and uh, here we are, you know, in 2018 that you had to go through, you know, close to six months of not knowing what was going on when someone could have in November of 2018 said, huh, maybe we should do either a blood test or do a, a, a MRI even, you know, mm-hmm. versus the CT scan. I know insurance, you know, that's like a, that's... That's just an excuse. I don't know. There, okay. you know, and I I think that's and you know, this is and, and in fairness, Darlene, I think, wow, if we could fix everything with a snap of the fingers, we could, right? We would, I should say. But you know, I think in fairness to the clinicians, I'm gonna I'm gonna let them off easy here a little bit. You know, the way that the system is built is is bad. And, you know, insurance, you have to do the CT scan. You have to do these nine things to get to the ultimate result, which is number 10 um, sometimes. And and that's the frustrating part, I think, too, in this. And and I think maybe the system, the way that this medical system here in the United States, and, and I'm not saying that we have it bad here. We have it really good uh, because there's parts of the world that, you know, if you get diagnosed with something like this and if you are eligible for surgery, it may take you, six months to a year just to get the surgery. Right. Mm-hmm. We're here. You could get a surgery pretty quickly. Um, you know, you could, you could probably happen it within a couple of days if you can find the right surgeon to do that. But to go back, I, I think that there's some systemic issues that we're still dealing with. And, and the reason why it really burns me a little bit, Darlene, just to share a little bit of personal experience with you, with me, you know, my dad was misdiagnosed for almost six to eight months. You know, so when people, when I hear stories still in this day and age that we're in, you know, and and to still hear that, you know, people are, are kind of going through the merry-go-round of medicine with something so serious as pancreatic cancer and really, you know, a blood test, you know, it's a tube of blood. It takes exactly. five minutes, right? So, you know, it's just, it's frustrating to hear and, and also... You know, I'm not going to let Sloan off as easily as you did. Not that I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. It's Sloan kittering All they do is cancer. They are a cancer hospital. They don't do anything else. They've got to do better. Um, you know, so I, well, I, I think that's frustrating for, to hear. You know, from me, from my standpoint, Darlene.
1: Oh well, I agree with you. And and you're talking the cost of a CT scan, the cost of a blood test. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know how much my chemo costs. I, I mean, I'm at, I'm 67 years old. So obviously I collect, I, I'm on Medicare and uh, fortunately I'm a retired teacher. So I also have supplemental insurance. I am very fortunate, very, very fortunate. And I thank God for that every day. However, you're, I know what my chemo costs. I see it every day when I, get my, um, my explanation of benefits diagnosing when oh this is this is what really bothers me I even posed the question do you think I have pancreatic cancer to the doctor and was told the CT scan the x-rays yep the CT scan came out and said was shown to me and said no it's not showing up on the scan so And I swear to God, I said that I asked that question and I was told no. So the question was posed and a question. I mean, the question was asked. Question was answered. No. So I, I, I just, again, it's a simple blood test Mm -hmm. and, and my numbers, 61,000. My number today is 19. That's my number today. It's crazy. And it is crazy. It's crazy that that I am still here, but you have to be an advocate. You have to have a strong voice. You have to insist. It is your body. And if you don't use your voice and knowing now what I know, when individuals call me, we have five people in my community that I know of with pancreatic cancer. Mm. We live in a farming community. And when I, when I am asked, what should I do? I tell my friends, I tell families, you need to insist. You need to insist to be tested. You need to insist on that blood work. And if no one is hearing you, you still need to use your voice. And that's all you can do. And you, and if your doctor isn't listening, find another doctor. Because if that doctor doesn't want to listen to you, why are you going to that position? I, I mean, I don't understand why you would, would you, why would you, why? That's the only question I can ask. And looking back, I, I just could kick myself, but I can't, I can't look back. I have to move forward. And that's what it's all about for me right now is moving forward.
0: Well, hindsight's easy. It's twenty twenty, right? And that's mm-hmm. why you know I, and I, I apologize if I fired you up. <laughs> it's like, no, I, may I get have gotten fired you fired up, up, up. darling. I get I fired get, up with that because it's uh, all the time. Yeah, I no, I know, and I know we we come from the same place in terms of why we're we're getting fired up. You know, it, it is frustrating. Um, you know, and I, I think partly again going back to the the system, and I think we have set doctors up on a high pedestal where. You know we're not supposed to question doctors, or we're not supposed to question this. No, you should question it, not not in a combative way, but I think knowledge is power, right? And and Mm -hmm. and you know the hard thing too, though, in, in fairness to to you and to other folks that are on this journey, is that. No one really talks about this stuff. And and no one should, quite frankly, and, and you know, in some ways, until you're in it, darlene. And and you know, that's mm-hmm. the fairness, I think, you know, to to take some some of the pressure off, or, you know, as we said, hindsight's always 2020. You know, like you have two two children, you have a husband, you're retired, you should be loving life and and enjoying what it is and moving forward, as you said, versus having to know that you know this one blood test could have you know told everyone you know some some news that would be beneficial a lot sooner than than later when it was decided mm-hmm. to take that test you know so in fairness you know I, again hindsight's always 2020 um right. but you know i think we the, the way the system is is that we we trust our clinicians to understand a lot more than we do about diseases and and in specific you know diseases like pancreatic cancer and lymphoma and other diseases that we don't know about because that's not our business to, to know about those things. So the system somewhat has failed, um, you and, and and a lot of other people, but we've got to do better. And I think that's, you know, going back to the, the start of this conversation, this is what this podcast is about. It's about awareness, you know? So naturally you had some symptoms that are pretty common, you know, when you look at the pancreatic cancer, you know, FAQ, rapid weight loss, abdominal pain, constipation, or, or you know, any type of GI issues, you know, that are right. prolonged. And we've had people even on the podcast that have had, you know, GI issues for a week and then that was it, you know, um, you know, are just fluttering. And, you know, so you, you hit the home run on that one, you hit a triple, you know, you had all three um, and they, they were prolonged. So, you know, a light bulb should have went off somewhere along the line. So, um, I know asking that question. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and we shouldn't be beating yourself up about that. I, I want to ask you something. You know, clearly sure. you, you've been fighting through this, and we're recording this as we are. You know, still in this COVID pandemic. How has that been for you? Um, you know, here we are in August. COVID started around March. Um, you know, that would have put you right around the the one year mark, you know, when you had a doctor tell you, you know, well, a little bit less than a year, but you know, in April of 19 that you had three months to live. And then you hit that one year mark pretty much in the heat of the moment being in New York. I think in April, you know, New York was like the epicenter for the world for COVID New York city, more so than the state of New York, but still close enough, but far enough. I would, I would say, how is that? How's that experience been battling through this?
1: Um, I was a little depressed because I felt you really don't know. I mean, I am here. You really don't know if, if this beast is going to come back. It, it's, it's an aggressive cancer. You're doing well one day. You're on top of the world and this beast could rear its ugly head at any time. That's this disease. Um, so COVID comes and you can't go anywhere. Yeah. We had this wonderful family trip. Uh I have six grandchildren. We have four daughters. Um and we planned it to go to Disney. Our mom and dad are gonna pay for everything. <laughs> so everybody's happy. You know? Everybody's <laughs> like, whoa, we're gonna go to Disney. Mom and Dad are paying for it. Covid comes and you can't go. I can't get on a plane. We can't, we're not going to take the kids to Disney. So of course, uh, that can't happen. And I can't go out. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, you're trying to be positive, but this is one day more that I can't go out and enjoy the world. And that's how I started to look at COVID. And then I became very angry and decided, I I, I just, I just can't. So as start, as soon as some of the restrictions started to lessen, uh, started to let up a little bit, I decided that, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out. And I spoke to my oncologist about it. And I know there were many people that feel, um, frightened and i know my family were ups, was upset that mom was going out hmm. but i took the necessary precautions i was smart um i didn't go in the grocery store obviously i wasn't going to do that but i started taking walks um with the necessary precautions and um doing things because i i have to live my life i don't know I could live another five years. I could live another six months. I don't know, but I have to start living my life. And, and so once we started to phase in, I, I have to, I, I, I mean, you know, I can't let COVID take everything away from me. So even in the darkest part of COVID, um, Dave and I started doing things inside the house rather than let it take over. I mean, um, we had to do something. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, just, just couldn't let it take over me and and darken my day. I just couldn't do it. So we did what we could do. And, um, Like I said, when each phase came, I um, tried to get out there and be sensible and um, take the necessary precautions, but I have to enjoy my life. I have to. We're going out to restaurants, sitting outside. I wear my mask. I sanitize, but um, that's what we're doing right now.
0: Well, it's important what you just said, though, and and I think this is something that we've talked about on the podcast a bit since this all started. And, and, you know, when COVID started, it became, you know, they talked about social distancing, flattening the curve,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, and
0: taking on these necessary precautions. But, you know, we said something early on was it wasn't, you know, in in our community, people fighting pancreatic cancer are already in a, like you said, already in a very dark place, you know, you're fighting Mm -hmm. this, this thing. And before COVID, I knew a lot of people fighting, you know, they they just took a lot of precautions, right? Because your immune system's, you know, not the uh-huh. same. You're, you're taking chemotherapy and that does a, a number on everything. But the social distancing wasn't social isolation. And I think that's as a society, I think that's what we were, I think people were, you know, isolating themselves, which for even the healthiest of people is not a good thing. Right. And I think what you just said is, is very important because- you have to live. We we have these things that come up, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating that people go to the bars or a bar should open and we should start right. doing all these things without any precautions. But you know, if you follow the guidelines, wear a mask, sanitize, you know, and if you uh, have you know an issue, if you're battling cancer, yeah, you have to do some things a little bit differently than maybe someone who's super healthy. Um, but, you know, we should still live our lives and we should mm-hmm. still enjoy the things that we used to enjoy before. Right. And social distancing doesn't mean social isolation or social ignorance. Right. Uh, if that is even a term, you know, to ignore people socially, I should say. And I think that was something that, you know, was. Um, you know, I I think misconstrued a bit, I feel. And I still feel as a society, you know, here we are in August and we're still seeing videos of people, you know, just yelling at people and and being so angry at people online. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because we have isolated ourselves and people have forgotten how to live their life
1: a bit, Darlene. Well, that's it. You know, we, and so. we took rides in the car we we my husband and i took rides in the car we have beautiful parks here so um we have a beautiful park down by the river um our house is centrally located so um we could walk down to the river if we want to we could drive down to the river and sit in the park um we we have a backyard um that we could, during the nice weather, we could sit outside, but we took drives. We took lots of drives. And, um, if a, when the stores, the, the ice cream stores opened up, he would get the ice cream. We would sit in the car. But when things were pretty much shut, shut down, we took drives. We just got in the car and took drives and got outside and went to the parks and did walks and we had to do that you can't sit in the house and we were responsible and uh the disney trip was a trip to narragansett before narragansett before rhode island uh Just
0: shut its borders <laughs> one down. of the
1: uh, <laughs> places we couldn't go to on yeah. new york's map But we did. We took everybody to Narragansett and, uh, you know, we didn't go inside the restaurant. So we did takeout and we did walks there and it was wonderful. But you do what you have to do, but you live your life and you take the necessary precautions. And unfortunately for me, because of my um, lymphoma, um, my my lymphoma, my particular lymphoma affects my white cell counts. So I can never be part of a clinical study, and my white cell count is affected, and it's affected my bone marrow. Um, and I have to be very careful. I receive melasta shots, melasta injections, mm-hmm. um, every other treatment. So I am particularly at risk. But I, I do take the necessary precautions because, again, I, I want to live my life. I don't know. I don't know how long I have, but I am certainly going to wake up every day and I'm going to enjoy the time that I have. And unfortunately, COVID happens, but I'm not going to let COVID, I'm not going to let anything take away the days that I have. And hopefully um, 16 months will become um, another year who knows nobody knows nobody has uh, nobody knows how long i will have but i do not see um i do not i have said this the day i met my oncologist my present oncologist i told him i do not visualize my my death and till that day comes i am here and we will just keep moving forward and that is how i still feel i don't see it i don't visualize it i am here and i'm moving forward and and that's me just moving forward so you have to be positive
0: that mindset though darling that's a mindset right like you have that particular mindset
1: that's right
0: where does that come from I don't I don't think that in in the question I don't think this just happened this mindset didn't just happen in March in November of 18 or in 2017 when you got diagnosed with lymphoma was there somewhere uh, you know mm-hmm. prior to that you could maybe point to and I know this is somewhat of a loaded question
1: yeah. it's not no, an easy question I, you know it's funny I I I, I grew up in a, in a an Italian family and I always Felt it was kind of like a little dysfunctional <laughs> like it was a crazy dysfunctional family i guess
0: darling. that um, you're, you're just now st- you know that <laughs> now you're talking about all Italians. you're saying you know we were watching the godfather yeah. yesterday was uh, the godfather marathon was on so now we can go into dysfunctional at a higher level
1: yeah but um i always felt that um I always felt I was on the brink, like you're always on the brink of a disaster, but you can pull yourself, pull yourself out of it. I always tell my girls, every problem has a solution. Um, It's just a matter of finding the solution. Like my girls would get like depressed, oh my God, the world is ending. And I would say, no, the world is not ending. There's always a solution to every problem. You may not like your solution, but there's a solution. I, I don't know. I've always felt that way. Um, my mom was a very strong individual and she just, it was like, oh, stop your crying. Oh, stop your whining. You know, like figure it out. And I think I just grew up that way. I was the oldest of three children and um, it was always like, okay, I'll just take care of it. Okay. there's and And that's always the way I've been. It's like. Yeah, you know, just get in there and figure it out. Just get in there and do it. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, stop your whining. And it doesn't mean that you can't cry. Like, yeah, I had my time with my diagnosis where I cried and I was depressed. And everybody should have that time. I'm not saying don't have it. You Have it. Wallow in your misery because everybody deserves that. This is a horrible diagnosis. No matter what cancer you have, it's horrible. You deserve your time to have self-pity, but get over it because you're not going to get better and you're not going to battle, but you deserve to have your time. And there may be other times, and I've had my other times where I've cried, but drag yourself out of it because staying in that spot doesn't do you any good because if you stay in that spot, you're going to die. You're not going to get better because you're not going to dig yourself out of it. And that's how I, that's how I, I've always been that staying in there isn't going to get out of there. So, and I've been divorced and I dug myself out of that and anytime i've been there i've just that's that's what i've done dug myself out and because it doesn't doesn't help yourself to stay there it's a nasty place to be so yeah that's how i've been all my life and i guess i got that from my mom with that you know stop your whining
0: it's powerful it's me it's powerful stuff. yeah it
1: is it's a big message and i like i said you want you know have your self pity party because you deserve it you deserve it but get out of it and just move forward it's how you have to be because otherwise you will never survive this diagnosis or any diagnosis of cancer it's just um you have to do your battle you have to fight your battle
0: was there is there something i mean you say get out of it is there a mantra that you use to get to snap out of it? Or is there something that you do to snap out of that? Because I know our audience listening, you know, and I think we've all been there, you know, like not in this situation, but all have been depressed, right? I mean, clearly look at what's happening in the world, right? You can turn on the TV and watch the the Mm -hmm. nightly news and become really depressed really quick. But are there strategies that you've used to kind of, you know, something you do, like for me, running has always been the last 10 years, something that's kind of been able to, to snap me out of like a really crappy mood or to kind of bring me back to full circle or back to a grounding where I can think logically about certain things.
1: Well, I walk, I got back into walking, walking was always good for me. And when I was, um, when I, um, started to when I, when I was feeling ill, I, I stopped walking. Mm-hmm. So I went back to walking. Um, and that's always cleared my head. That's, that's been my biggest, that's, that's always helped me is, uh, we have a, I, I walk across the street and there's the Hudson Valley Rail Trail and it's been, it's, it's beautiful. It's nature is all around me and that's always cleared my head. So I have to do that. I started walking, and that, that clears my head. But um, that's that's what helps me. Um, or I I, um, I I find that when um, I just love to I, I garden. Gardening is my passion. Wow. I have thirteen gardens. Thirteen. And during dur- I have thirteen gardens out here. Some big, some large, some some big and some small but we have gardens all around us and um, I am known in this town for my gardening. (laughs) Uh, For flowers or
0: vegetables, Darlene?
1: Flowers, flowers, flowers. flowers. We are centrally located so that when you drive down this, um, this, uh, this avenue in front of us, people can see the front of our house and they see my window boxes and my gardens. And we always get um, comments on them on Facebook and, um i have facebook if you're a friend of mine you might even see uh my house and some of my gardens but yeah that's i go outside and i garden and last year obviously i couldn't but this year i am out in my gardens and that is my passion that's where i lose myself that's my um i just love to garden that's awesome. So when I when I get frustrated and when I want to lose myself, um, that's what I do. And all year round, I walk.
0: Thanks for sharing. Unless
1: it's freezing cold, when it's really freezing cold, right? Yeah,
0: that's probably yeah. Not, not a good <laughs> one. Right,
1: that's a good, but well, that's it.
0: I I think it's important though, because, you know, these are ways that, you know, walking is super healthy and and gardening is a Mm -hmm. great thing, you know, and I think anything that can help people to shift and, you know, there are plenty of studies out there that talk about exercise and how that works. I mean, we've had people talk about uh, cooking, you know, just diving into cooking and that just changes their mind because that's what they love to do. So whatever you can find that you love to do that allows you to get to that better place as long as it's a positive thing Mm -hmm. absolutely for it you've mentioned community a couple times and i know you've talked about family what's some of the best things that friends and family have done during this journey for you because i I, in the reason i bring this question up we get this asked a lot here at project purple we get the call we get two types of calls um you know, from a family member, so-and-so has been diagnosed, you know, what do we do? And then we get the call from, hey, my best friend's mom has been diagnosed, or my best friend has just been diagnosed. What's the best thing I can do for that person? So we always like asking our survivors and fighters, you know, that exact question, because I think it's an important one.
1: You know, when I was first diagnosed, um, many of my friends and people in the community showed up. Um, and they showed up to visit. They showed up with, with food. The unfortunate thing, and I don't want this to come off as, uh, uh, bitter or sour grapes. People tend and friends, they all have great intentions. They, tend to um stop. They come off it come on strong when you're first diagnosed with um calls, visits, food. And then towards um the middle, they stop. My biggest advice is to continue. If you can't do the visits, Send texts. Send, send. You know, give a call if you can't do it every day because life gets in the way. Um, you have jobs. You have family. You have life. You have things. But the person that has cancer, they're still going through treatments. Now they're involved in treatments. They're no longer newly diagnosed, but they're involved in treatment. They need to be. They need to know. They're thought of. They still need the encouragement. They're going to get it from family. They're going to get it from their very close friends, but they still need to know that their community is behind them. They, they may not need the food, but they need to know they're thought of. So if you're busy with work and you come home, send them a quick text to let them know they're being thought of or maybe a card. I have a friend that I've I uh, I was a teacher in my community for 35 years, and um, she was a secretary in our school. Wonderful, dear, dear woman. She sends me a card once a month, just once a month. That means more to me than anything, just knowing that once a month, this woman um, still thinks of me. After 35 years of working with her, once a month, she sends me a card. Things like that, I can't tell you how much it means to me to know that she thinks of me. Once a month, just once a month, I know that she thinks of me. But sending cards, sending texts, and, you know, dropping things off, even if it's a plate of cookies um, once a week or whatever. But don't forget that person Um you know, you make that initial visit to tell them how sorry you are. Keep in contact. People look at me today and they think, oh, my God, she's she's cured. She's in remission. I'm not. I'm not. Keep encouraging the your friend, your family member, because they need it. They need it to keep going. So that's my advice. When they want to know what to do, just keep in contact. Don't forget them after the initial diagnosis. Keep going. I love it.
0: What about your family? How's it been? You know, I mean, I know this is a, a hard question. I'm sure. You know, you, you talk about your four daughters and you have mm-hmm. two up in Boston, six grandchildren. I imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, you said trip to Disney, and all joking aside, I mean that probably was something really important for everyone especially given the dynamics i don't know if that would be a relaxing trip with, uh, with the six grandchildren in <laughs> disney uh maybe Narragansett was a lot more relaxing that was probably a good it thing was. um but let's talk about family for a second uh, you know how's it been for them
1: um my one daughter who whose husband passed away suddenly was uh took it Obviously took it, uh, it was a little bit harder on her. She has four children. Um, so that was, that was, uh, the diagnosis was, um, difficult. Um, the, the other three, obviously it was difficult for all of them. She took mm-hmm. it a little bit harder. Um, it's been, it's been difficult for them. They, um, they've been home a lot more they of uh, they hover they hover a lot um which which is okay um i've i've allowed it to a certain point they um they're nervous um We've been pretty honest with them about the diagnosis. They've done a lot of research, probably too much research. I think I think family members tend to do that. Yep. Um but they've they've been okay. Um now they're okay. They see mom is doing more they, you know, they get anxious. Like, uh, if I, when I started driving, they were like, oh, maybe you shouldn't drive. Um, if they hear I'm going out, maybe you shouldn't go out. So, um, things like that, but they're better because they see that I'm better. Um, so they're starting to relax more, but they, but they know the diagnosis could change at any time. So I think they're a little on edge, but they're hopeful. They know there's, there's hope now they feel more, they, they, they're positive because I'm positive. So I think my, my attitude guides their attitude. And that's, that's a good thing. So if they see me depressed, then they get a little anxious. So as long as I'm hopeful and positive, my family's hopeful and positive. My grandchildren are um, a different story. Uh, The two of the six are under two. Mm -hmm. So um, they they're very young. The four uh, older ones are my oldest daughters and they lost their father. So they are very aware of of what's going on with grandma, they're anxious. And every time they see me, they're kind of like looking at me to make sure grandma's okay. So I think out of all of the family, they're the ones that are still very anxious about it. Um, when they call me, they're always saying, Grandma, how are you feeling? Are you okay? And I, Grandma's great. Is the medicine working? The medicine is working. Grandma's fine. And they always call me on chemo day to make sure everything is good. Um, my chemo was two weeks and now it's three weeks. So, uh, my oldest, my oldest grand, grandson was, um, excited about that because he's very aware. He's 14 and he's very aware. So uh, that guides them, you know, whatever happens guide them um as to how they feel and like i said if i'm positive they're positive so um you know i i think that the person you know the family member that has cancer if you're hopeful your family's hopeful if you're not then it kind of um guides how your family's gonna feel
0: yeah, and that—that's I appreciate you being really open and honest with us there because I think that's such an important lesson. Because, and I wrote a note here: attitude is everything. But like you said, if you're if you're anxious, everyone else is anxious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's something that uh, you know, not to. Uh, this is a very serious thing that you're going through, but you know, that I go back to that mindset, and that is something that is so so powerful. I mean. You know, before we started recording, Darlene, you and I were talking about, you know, the amount of podcasts I've done. And, you know, this is going to be close to like 127 or 28. I, I, I lost count here, but, you know, well into the hundreds. And people who have come on the show that have battled, that are battling, I've always talked about mindset, and it's a reason why I bring it up because I, 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 I'm i going to do research, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, because there's something to be said about the people that we've interviewed about their mindset and how they think and how they're able to fight this thing and live some amazing lives and beat this thing. And I think a lot of it comes down to mindset, their mental mm-hmm. capability of how they're able to deal with things how that prepares them physically to battle the disease mm-hmm. and to take on the chemotherapy treatments, as you know, which are a bear. I've got two questions, really one question for you, and then one more thing for our audience. And we always save the the kind of, I wouldn't say the hardest question, but one of the, one of the toughest questions for last. Um, there's no right or wrong to this uh, question that I'm about to ask. Uh, it's really your interpretation of this. And the question is, how do you, in your personal experience and what you've gone through, define pancreatic cancer?
1: Mm, a monster. It's a monster. Um, wow. It's just, it's, I, I. how do I define it? It is a monster. There are, oh. Uh, <clears throat> I've never thought of that. Excuse me. I've never thought of how to define it. It is. It's. I call it my worst nightmare. A demon. A monster. Oh, it is something. You know, you always say you never worship wished on your worst enemy. Um. I don't know. I I don't I don't think there are any words to define pancreatic cancer. I used to wake up in the morning and wonder what the hell I've done to deserve this. And, um, I don't know if this is answering your question, but I can just tell you this. I would, I did. I used to wake up in the morning and just ask the question, what did I do to deserve this? I've always been a good person giving back to the community, giving to my mother when she was sick. Um, and, think what did I deserve this because this is like the worst possible the worst possible experience the worst possible disease I I I just it's horrible the chemo sucks the three it's a three-day chemo it's a it's three days a three-day treatment you come home um and this is the depressing part I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, this this is the depressing part and this is why you gotta pull yourself out of the dark hole because it, it is. I mean, I we look, we talk about being positive, we talk about having faith, and but in all reality, that's the dark hole. The dark hole is pancreatic cancer. That's how you describe it. It is the dark hole, and that's why you have to be positive. Because it is a dark hole that can suck you right down. That's pancreatic cancer. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what it is. It's a dark hole that can just suck you right down and take you into an abyss. So, and and that's how I feel about it. And when I'm going through that three days of chemo, uh, it reminds me why I have to be positive, because it's just bad. And that's why I have to get up. I have to move, because I you just could. You could. You, all I can say is you really could get into that hole. And I can't. I can't. I just can't allow myself to. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the best way I can describe it.
0: That is your answer. And that is the best answer, Darlene. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong to it. So, I appreciate you being as open and honest. And, uh, you know, I, I the, the next piece of this and where we're going from that question is, you know, if someone's listening to this and, and you've been amazing to have as a guest with your attitude. And I, I think there's been so many, golden nuggets as I'll say on this podcast about getting through this and as you said this sucks and you're not done with it but you're getting through it and you're living mm-hmm. your life and moving forward but if someone was listening to this and maybe someone is where you were back in November of 2018 or or someone you know has a family member that's going through this and something that they heard today on this podcast inspired them, where's the best place for them to connect with you if they wanted to talk to you more about you know, what you've been going through or something that they heard today that kind of had piqued their interest and, and they wanted to talk to you further? What's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: They, they, they can connect with me through my email. And then um, I would... And they could leave me the, their phone number and I would happily call them back. And my email would be Darlene, B-A-R-L-E-N-E, P is in Peter, L-A-V as in Victor, C-H-A-K at gmail.com. And if they reach out to me through my email, um, I will gladly and leave me a telephone number I will gladly um, respond and, and call them back.
0: Awesome. Well, Darlene, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your story of inspiration about how attitude is everything. I've written so many notes here and I think that is the biggest thing that has struck me with this conversation. And thank you for you know, allowing our listeners and myself to hear about your journey and and really keep doing what you're doing, darling. Don't change a thing. I would say. Um, okay. You know you're on the right track, and um, you know I really appreciate you coming on to share your story because as we said before we started recording, there is strength in numbers with this disease. No one should fight alone. And what we're doing here is, you know, creating awareness so that the next person that goes in, like you said, you know, maybe they get that blood test before any of those CT scans, uh, that's the hope. And, and, you know, there's a lot of clinicians that listen to this, so maybe there's folks from the, the, the medical field that realize, hey, like maybe we should be doing something a little bit more differently than we've done in the past. That's what the ultimate goal is. So,
1: I hope so. I really, really hope so. I really do believe in that blood test, and um, you know, my my oncologist has said to me, uh, you know, your numbers, your numbers, and I, I do believe in in um, I, I do believe that the blood test is is important. If you're not getting the right answers, then you need to use your voice. So, thank you, thank, thank you, thank you very much,
0: thank you. Thank you for listening at home. If you like what you hear today, please follow us where you listen to podcast, share this podcast, and until next time, be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast.